Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Uh, I want to welcome uh, all of our worshipers online and those over in the chapel who are joining us today. So glad that you are here for week seven and the final message in our series that we're calling This Is Us. Over the last seven weeks, we've been trying to explore and give language to why we exist as a church and what we believe God is calling us to in this moment in time and this little corner of his globe that he loves so much. Week one, we said that we are a mission. We followed that up with the idea that we're a hospital and then we are a temple. We are a family. We are a classroom. Last week, we talked about the reality that we are generous. And today, we're ending this series with the conviction that we are servants. We are servants. Uh, A few months ago, my family and I were at Chick-fil-A because we're Christians. I don't know, man. I love going to Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's my pleasure just rolls off of the tongues of the employees there. And I think Chick-fil-A reminds us that we all really, really love and are compelled by great service. But this time, we were just blown away. My wife and I both got a salad and we sat down at our table and one of the employees from Chick-fil-A came by with a pepper grinder (laughs) and said, would you like some freshly ground pepper on your salads? I was so disoriented. I mean, I I, I was like a, a goat on AstroTurf. I didn't know what to do. Looking around, where am I? Am I at, am I at the Olive Garden or am I at Red Lobster? Am I at Ventana? No, I'm at Chick-fil-A. And they're asking me if I want freshly ground pepper on my salad. Chick-fil-A, stop it. Just back up. My goodness. I think most of us would agree that we love it when great service is offered. But I wonder if we're as committed to becoming great servants. We love good service. Are we as committed to becoming great servants? See, I'm convinced that our lives are often subtly built on this conviction of upward mobility. Meaning that we are served by more and more people and we serve fewer and fewer people the higher we rise. Uh, what What if that's the wrong goal? What if that ladder that we're climbing is actually leaning up against the wrong building, as it were? See, see, my hope is that by the end of our time together, that we share the conviction collectively, that we long to be good servants just as much as we long to receive good service. If you have your Bible, will you open with me to John chapter 13? John chapter 13. And let me set the context for you as you're turning there. This is a point in John's gospel where Jesus' ministry in many ways moves from the busy streets into the intimacy of a quiet room. Gathered with not the large crowds, but with the intimate apostles, the disciples whom he's poured into for a few years. There's a a tenderness and there's an intimacy in Jesus' voice 
and his actions. And I have a warning for you. This passage of scripture, this story, in many ways turns our world upside down. It invites us to some truth that's completely counterintuitive, especially in our day and our time. And for that reason, I think we at the onset have to wrestle with this question, do we believe that Jesus is really calling us to live in his way with his heart? John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Wonderful. I heard you out in the chapel too. So great. It says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now don't miss that everything that's going to follow is a picture of what? Love. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, wiping them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now let me pause here, because many of us have have heard the story a, a number of times. And many of you probably know that washing of the, the feet was the job of the lowest servant on the totem pole. And now we see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, bowing and washing the feet of his disciples. I, I love the way that Servian of Gabala put it in roughly 400 AD. He said, he who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped around himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers and pool tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. Do you sense the weightiness, that is to say the glory, of this moment? Verse 6, and he came to Simon Peter... Who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Can we just stop for a moment and slow clap, Peter? I mean, I, I mean he's already washed a number of the other disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter's like, no, 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 no. You may wash their feet, but you're never, ever, ever, that's how it reads in the Greek, going to wash my feet. Not me. Absolutely not. And really, doesn't Peter just say what all of us would be thinking in this moment? We've seen him open the eyes of the blind. We've seen him feed the 5,000. We've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle, and now he's down on his hands and knees, ready to wash your feet? Now, I think Peter, in many ways, just says what everybody else is thinking, but doesn't have the guts to say. (laughs) Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon said, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I mean, talk about a 180. It's all that never, never business, right? 
And Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And just as a quick aside, when we refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior and Rabbi, this is precisely one of the places we're getting that idea from. Jesus claims himself to be teacher or rabbi and Lord. Not either or, but both and. And then he says this, if then... Your Lord, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, say it with me, Emmanuel Faith, an example that you also should do, not just believe or agree with or think it's awesome or applaud, no, but that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, In this moment, the disciples have to be a bit rattled because they didn't just get an example of service. They got a new picture, a new revelation of what God is ultimately like. You see, in in Greek mythology, there was this one moment where Zeus and Hermes were said to have gone down to earth to look around to see what the people really thought of the gods. And they went disguised as servants. But really, it was just a disguise. And once they found out the information they wanted to know, they shed the disguises and revealed their Olympian glory to everyone. (laughs) But see, when Jesus takes the posture of a servant, he isn't taking on a disguise. He is presenting a revelation. This is what God, like, this is what God is ultimately like. The disciples had such a hard time wrapping their hearts and their minds around this picture that later on in the same evening, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father because he can't be the kind of God that gets down on his hands and knees and washes feet. Tell us what what the Father is really like. And that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Even in the washing of feet? Yes. Especially in the washing of feet. And so if we say and we claim as our mission, we want to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, a posture of servanthood is absolutely essential to the life of discipleship. The uniform, as it were, that followers of Jesus wear is one of a towel that's wrapped around their waist. Because that's exactly what you see when you look at God, the almighty creator, king, Lord over all, with a towel wrapped around his waist. And so if we want, as we've sung, Christ to be magnified in us, then we have to be willing to take on the posture of servanthood. Of servanthood. 
And can we agree that this is an absolutely radical and quite welcomed new picture of what we are called to do when we are in positions of power? And as we look at the world around us and all sorts of different things going on, I mean, we have the Me Too movement, we're sort of in the wake of a government overreach in many ways. If you're listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, you see that power within churches has the ability to corrupt as well. We see the insidious nature of Hollywood at large in so many ways. And then we have the position of Jesus. Most powerful. And lowest of all. Jesus had a lot of critique of power in his day. One of the strongest was when he addressed his disciples. That Jesus called to them and he said, this is in Mark chapter 10 verses 42 to 45. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. The, the ones who are in charge. The ones who have the most power. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. Did you know that Jesus is not down on greatness? Not in the least. In fact, he wants to teach you how to be great. Did you catch it? If you want to be great, serve. You want to be great in your workplace? Serve. Be great in your family? Serve. You want to be great in your church? Serve. Yeah, be the servant of all. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the way of Jesus is that God, if God has entrusted you with power, you use it to lift others up, not to lord it over them. I love the way that Simon Sinek put it in his great little book, Leaders Eat Last, when he said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. What a picture of the way of Jesus. Power is designed to be used for the sake of others, not for the sake of self. To lift others up, not to lord it over them. How would that posture change our country? How would that posture change our city? How would that posture change your, your workplace or even your family? Friends, this is the way of discipleship because this is the way of Jesus. He went on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And once again, we're back at the sticky point for us. <laughs> because in our cultural moment, the higher you get, the less you do for yourself, right? Right? I mean, I have just a few examples. Did you know that Mariah Carey has people who hold her drink for her while she drinks so she doesn't have to touch the cup? Just. All right. Did you know, did you know that Christian Bale has people who smell his armpits before he walks the red carpet just to make sure he doesn't have BO while he's out there? Any volunteers? 
Did you know that people that work for J-Lo aren't allowed to look at her or at least to look her in the eye? And then you have Jesus. And he claims, he claims, not just encourages his followers to be servants. He says, there's actually, there's actually a blessing that awaits to the person who ties the towel around their waist. He says, there's, there's blessing, there's good, there's beauty, there's life, there's vitality when you take up the posture of a servant. When you give your life away for the sake of others, if you want your life to be full, look for ways to make the lives of others better. Let me say that again. If you want your life to be full in the most beautiful and good way, look for ways to make the lives of others better. I'm sure this won't surprise you, but um, scientists have actually discovered that Jesus is right. They did a study a number of years ago, and what they found was that people who overused the pronouns me, mine, and I, first-person pronouns, so people who have a life that they sort of have built around themselves, me, mine, and I, what they found was that they have a significantly higher rate of heart attacks than those who use those terms appropriately. So, wow, Jesus was right. There's a blessing that awaits for those who are willing to tie a towel around their waist. Serving is actually really, truly the pathway to health and blessing, and wholeness and life. But let's be honest. There's a risk in serving, isn't there? I mean, many of us, we probably have questions that swirl around in our heads like, will I get taken advantage of? Will I get run over? Will I be able to get ahead in life? Will I have enough? And all of those are a basket of questions we bring under Jesus's call to do as I have done for you. And I'm convinced that there's some things that we need to know in our head and receive in our hearts if we are going to be people who live out the calling of Jesus to serve. Because it's not as easy as just saying, so go serve. Just go do it. No, no, no. I think there's some things that we need to know if we are going to live in this way. And here's my first conviction is to serve like Jesus served, we must know what Jesus knew. To serve how Jesus served, we must know what Jesus knew. And so, if you're tracking with me, my guess is, your question is, well, what did did Jesus know? Thank you, Jody. What did Jesus know? So glad you asked. Just flip back to verse 3. If you have your own Bible, and if you have your own Bible out in the chapel, I just want to encourage you, would you underline this verse? Because it's so important to set the framework for what Jesus does. Because John writes this, he says, in Jesus, knowing, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. See, see, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he had authority. He knew that he had power. In fact, in the Great Commission, we will hear Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to 
me. Jesus knew that he had power. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Ryan, isn't that the opposite of the conviction that we need to have if we are going to be willing and able to serve? Don't we need to be humble? Not convinced we have authority? And I would say, do we need to be humble? Yes. But powerless? No. It's actually counterintuitive. But when you know you have authority, you don't have to prove it. When you have something to prove, you're not free to serve. People have to serve you to reinforce your shaky self-esteem and your lack of identity. See, I would argue that people who exert power over others are actually insecure at their core. You show me someone who's willing to serve and I will show you someone who is convinced of the authority that they have and are freed from having to prove it to others. See, Jesus had nothing to prove, and it freed him to serve. Did you know that followers of Jesus have been given authority by him? If you are his follower, his spirit lives inside of you, and what John wrote to the churches is that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have nothing to prove. He is with you. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is calling you to serve right alongside of him. Nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. Here's the second thing Jesus knew. And Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, that he had come from God. Uh, This is the same Jesus who heard the voice from heaven as he's coming out of the waters at baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What allows Jesus to get down on his hands and knees and to wash his disciples' feet? He knew the authority that he had, and he knew his identity. He he knew who he was. He didn't have to convince anybody. And isn't it true that so much of our lives are trying to prove who we are through what we accumulate, through what we earn, trying to make a name for ourselves. But follower of Jesus, if that's who you are this morning, as you sit here, I just want to remind you, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself who lives in you bears witness with our spirit that we are, say it with me, Emmanuel Faith. Children of God. Friends, in Christ, you have nothing to earn and you have nothing to prove. You are chosen. You are enough. You are loved. And by sheer abundant grace, you are called a child of the most high God. He is for you. He is with you. He is in you. And your identity is secure. And that means you can take up the towel. And become a servant. A secure identity leads to a serving identity. One last thing Jesus knew. One last thing. He knew that all things had been given to his hands. That he'd come from God. His authority. His identity. And that he was going back to God. 
You notice this transition, this just um, a line of thinking that John is inviting us into. He has authority, he has identity, and he knows his destiny. When I was um, in college, we sort of uh, scraped together enough money uh, to buy a ski pass one year. And so a bunch of buddies of mine and I, we all got ski passes and uh, we would go up every so often and go skiing. And it was really amazing because when you have a ski pass, you sort of, we, our, our goal is to get there for first tracks in the morning. Um, and, and when I talk about skiing, I do mean skiing, not this thing that you do on boards. I mean like the two skis, right? Like I just divide the room. Perfect. We should serve one another. Okay. So, um, we would get up there first tracks in the morning and we would start at like 8 a.m. And then we would go till about 1 p.m. And at 1 p.m. we go, you know what? I think we're about good for the day. I mean, we had been doing this all day and we go, I think we're done. And because I had a pass, I was free to say, that's enough. We'll be back tomorrow. No big deal. Or the next day or whenever. Now, by way of contrast, uh, two years ago, when my wife Kelly and I and our family went back to visit family in Colorado, we skied at Beaver Creek just one day. And we got a screaming deal, 50% off. So it only cost our family of five $800 (laughs) to ski one day. My approach to that day was very different then eh, if you want to leave at one, go ahead. No, I, like to my kids, I'm like, you will ski until they shut this thing down. They're coming through with like freshly baked cookies in the ski line. I'm like, grab it and take it on the lift. Because we are going to get my money's worth out of this day. We aren't leaving. And so here, I tell you that story just to say, Jesus's posture, he did not have to drink every single thing dry in the day because he knew his destiny. He knew where his life was leading, where it was going. And confidence about eternal bliss frees us to bend the knee in service. Emmanuel faith, there will come a day when he will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. The old order of things will pass away and behold, the new will come. And it's that conviction that allows us this day to bow our knees, to wrap the towel around our waist and to serve the people around us. We know what's coming. We we know our destiny. It's sealed by the grace of our God. See, Jesus knew his authority, his identity, his destiny. And if we're going to serve like Jesus served, we have to know what Jesus knew. But but I'm convinced that if we are going to serve like Jesus served, we also have to receive what Jesus received. Remember, this whole story, this whole picture starts with this little statement that gives us a framework for everything. Having, what, say it with me, church. Loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. In the Greek, this to the end is the word telos. It means like um, perfection or completeness. Some translations will say he loved us to the end 
uttermost. To say that foot washing is really a picture of practical love. But remember, remember Peter's response to Jesus. You shall never, ever wash my feet. Or, you shall never, ever love me? You shall never... Love me like that? You shall never love me to the, to the uttermost, to, to that extent? <laughs> Let me translate what I think Peter is saying, or what Jesus says back to Peter. Jesus says, if I can't serve and love you, you cannot have my presence. I will come to you as a servant or I will not come to you at all. If we will not let Jesus serve us, we have no companionship with him. As if to say, if we will not trust what Jesus has done on the cross for our sin, we cannot enter into relationship with him. And if we will not let Jesus love even the nitty, gritty, dirtiest parts of us, we have no fellowship with him either. See, because to serve like Jesus served, we must receive the love that Jesus gives. And I think this picture of Jesus washing feet is so poignant because most of us, we have, we have no problem, many ways, trusting Jesus uh, in a very sort of meta or general type of way. Trusting Jesus as Savior? Well, well sure. Fine, well enough, good. Trusting Jesus for eternal life? Absolutely. Trusting Jesus for, for what he refers to as the bath or washing all of us? Absolutely. However, letting Jesus wash our feet? That's something else altogether. See, washing feet is akin to touching the, the dirtiest, grittiest, grimiest, darkest, most painful parts of our life. Those parts that we would much rather keep in the shadows than bring into the light. And I'm convinced that there are some here in this room and joining us online or out in the chapel, and you are saying to Jesus, you can wash all of me except that part. Just like Peter. You can't touch the abuse I suffered. You can't touch the divorce that I've walked through. You can't touch the anxiety that I carry. You can't, you can't touch the shame that's on my back. Listen, you have your reasons just like Peter had his to say, you're not going to wash my feet. Sure, my head, fine. Bath, fine. Feet, that's too intimate, that's too painful, that's too vulnerable, that's too much. But friend, will you just, please don't miss this, will you just look up at me for a moment, Emmanuel Faith? I don't, I don't want this moment to pass you 
by. Jesus wants to love the darkest, most painful, most awkward situations, events, and moments in your life. He wants to come alongside of you, not when you do awesome, but when you fail miserably. And he wants to come, and he wants to take the towel, and he wants to wash your feet and love you intimately, not when you're at your best, but when you're at your worst when you want to stay hidden, and when you want to stay in the shadows, he says, I want to get down on my hands and my knees, and I want to wash your feet. And I think for some of you today, Jesus is calling you to surrender to his love. Maybe for the very first time to say, yes, I will allow you not just to be my savior and my Lord, but to be my servant and to love me in the darkest, most painful moments. See, only the life of the beloved is free to receive the blessing of serving. So if we know what Jesus knew and we receive the love that Jesus gives, then, then we are free to step into the blessing. Remember, there's a blessing that awaits for the person that ties a towel around their waist, but both of those things are absolutely necessary if we are going to step into this way of Jesus. So let me try my best to answer the question that might be swirling around in your head now, which is, this sounds great on Sunday, but what does it look like on Monday? Right? What does it look like in, in real everyday life. Let me give you four practical takeaways. Here's the first. I want to challenge you to see ministry in the mundane. I mean, it's easy to to sort of zoom out and think about all the grandiose things that we could do in order to serve Jesus and embody the life of discipleship that at its essence is servanthood. And all of those things are wonderful and all of those things are great, but I want to challenge you to start with doing the dishes (laughs) or taking out the trash. Just the normal, everyday stuff around your house. We have so many people around Emmanuel Faith, and I hesitate to name any because there are so many who live this out right here, right under our noses. I think of people like Dwayne and Val Mueller who have um, taken up those God-forsaken junipers that were out along Encino. Oh my goodness, glory to God, they're gone. And it's because Dwayne and Val have come early in the mornings. I mean, I get here at about 7.50, 8 o'clock every day, and they are here digging those things out, trimming them back, and they are just serving this church in amazing mundane and very, very prickly ways. I think of people like Tom and Penny Anderson who volunteer and do landscaping around here along with our team and just behind the scenes blessing so many people. Just ministry of the mundane, just the normal everyday stuff that makes a house and makes a church work. Second, here's my second challenge to you. Embrace interruptions as invitations. All right, let's just admit, if you're um, type A like me, this sounds terrible, horrible. But what I found as I started to look back on even just the last few weeks is most of my greatest opportunities to serve others didn't show up in my calendar. They weren't things that I planned out. They were things that God brought out. And so maybe it's 
picking up the phone when somebody's calling and you're going, I don't have time for this. Or maybe it's helping somebody with groceries. Maybe it's taking a moment to pause and to pray. But I'm convinced that the greatest opportunities you have to serve won't show up in your calendar. Third, I want to challenge you to look for areas where pain intersects with passion. Now, now let me be clear on this for, before we dive into what I mean by that. Not every area you serve is going to align with your gifting or your passion. Sometimes you're just going to say yes because there's something that needs to get done and you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you to step in. But my hope is that you will find areas where your passion intersects with the world's pain and you sense a calling from God to step in and to serve. I love the way that Friedrich Buchner put it when he said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I love the fact that we got the chance to serve about 30 foster families Last weekend, I love that 40 or 50 people from our church body are helping Afghan families resettle in the North County area. I love that so many people in our church serve our kids and our youth and our students just coming alongside others to make a difference. I just want you to know God is using you for the glory of his name. And my guess is if we were to talk to you, you would say, I am absolutely blessed as I serve. Where does the world's pain and your passion intersect? Finally, some of you might wrestle with this, who am I supposed to serve question? God, who? People who are like me? People who like me? Listen to what Jesus said, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? So Jesus came as the servant of all, and that's the way he sends you and me also. Yes, even to that really annoying person at work that stole your promotion. Yes, even to that terrible neighbor who sweeps his grass clippings onto your driveway. Yes, yes. To those who are gay, to those who are straight, to those who are liberal, to those who are conservative, let's be people who refuse to limit those worthy of our service. If we were served by the Almighty, we then become servants of all. Of all. And I think it was Gordon MacDonald who is the first to coin this phrase or this idea, the truest test of servanthood is how you respond when you're treated like one. So this week, as you serve those around you, would you pay attention to the rhythms of your heart and your soul? And as you serve and maybe you see a reaction to the way people treat you that is stirred up in you, would you name it, acknowledge it, repent of it, and move forward in a way that exemplifies the service that Jesus offered to you? After all, he said, you are blessed when you serve. Emmanuel Faith, this is us. We are servants. That means we are astonished that the creator God 
has served us. And because of that, we seek to serve others. If you believe it, say amen. 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 We are convinced that our, of our authority, identity, and destiny. And because of that, we joyfully wash the feet of others. We expect that as we serve others, we'll experience God's blessing. And at the end of our days, we long to hear, well done, good, and faithful servant. So what if, what if you really believed that you are blessed when you serve? What if, what if you sought ways to build others up through your service? What if you decided to fill one of those slots at our harvest party? What if, what if when there was a need in Escondido, the city's first call was to Emmanuel Faith Community Church because they knew that church loves and serves its city. What if you found your freshly ground pepper (laughs) and just decided this is the way I'm going to love the people around me? As we've done every week in this series, Would you just take a moment and ask Jesus what he wants you to do with this? Try to fill in the the end of this sentence. This week I will dot, dot, dot. This week I will dot, dot, dot. If your answer is this week I will serve, you can find a QR code on the back of your worship folder and scan it and fill out a form. You can grab the communication card that's right in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering box on your way out and just let us know. I'd like to get involved. Our team will contact you. We would love to help you get involved. Not because there's something that needs to get done, but because there's a blessing that awaits for those who tie a towel around their waist. Let's pray. So Lord, We want to live in your way with your heart. And so our prayer would be that you would open our eyes to ways that we can serve those around us. That if we are in positions of influence and power, that we wouldn't use those to pat our own pockets and to lift ourselves up, but that we would lift those under us up. In the same way that you've done, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would most of all, maybe this morning, just help us to really hold on to the reality that we are loved by you, nothing to earn, nothing to prove. Simply by grace, you call us your own. You give us your spirit. And we long, we long to serve people in the way that you, the almighty God, have served us. It's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people together say, amen Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org slash give.